Hi everyone, welcome to Movies at Midnight podcast, where we discuss movies that we watch and do some traveling inspired by the location or their themes. I'm Tanya. And I'm Jorge. And today, tonight, we just got back from watching Nightmare Alley from this year, 2021, end of the year. So we'll give our spoiler-free overall thoughts to start, keep it pretty short, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, we have to keep it short because that was a long, long Two movie. and a half hours. Two and a half hours. I didn't feel the time. I don't know through. if you did, but I enjoyed no, it, it. it. It's a great film. It's a tragic story or justifying story, depending on how you feel. I mean, the I feel like protagonist. Whether, yeah, I feel like whether or not you agree with the protagonist, it's deeply unsettling and just depressing mm-hmm. for so many of the characters involved. For me, and I, I don't know, maybe this is a spoiler, but it's it's a cycle. Like, towards the end of the film, you're kind of like back where you started. Definitely. And I have some thoughts on that that I'll bring up towards the end. But, yeah, overall, I, I did really enjoy it, but it is quite depressing. It's interesting because Guillermo del Toro, he's the director, and he usually does ghosts. You know, there's always a ghost in his film. But this one, I was like, oh, it's a, a story about ghosts, and the ghosts are, aren't real in this one. But then I was thinking, oh, it could also be seen as, like, the ghost of this film is your guilt, and mm. what haunts you is your guilt, because for so many of the characters, that is a theme. <laughs> yeah, and because it was a Guillermo del Toro film, I was also waiting for, I don't know, conjuring vibes. The someone's, Some spirit was following some of these characters, or eventually the the ghosts do come through but yeah i'm, I'm kind of with you where the the ghosts are internal or everything is i guess like on the human nature it's there's there is no supernatural uh beings but it's a great look into the life of carnies sure yeah. um and people who work at carnivals in uh the very early 1940s yeah there's also a lot of great quotes in this film. I thought there were, and I'll make note of them throughout. But a lot of the times I feel like these good quotes come from another through line, which is you kind of give yourself away to others by the way that you act and the way that you are like present yourself. And one of those quotes that I thought was interesting is that like people are just dying to tell you who they are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a very strong theme in this film as well. Yeah, and that, that kind of resonates with um, our society today with the world of social media uh, in terms of everyone kind of like trying to show the rest of the world who they are. Right, but in like a, a manicured, more manicured way and, and how they want to be seen. In this one, I feel like it's more like people reading people and finding out things about them that they didn't know that they were letting on to or they wouldn't necessarily want other people to know about them. So I like that. Yeah, because I feel like I'm very bad at reading people. Yeah, and a, a a really interesting thing that I found out about this film is, in today's movie making, we always think like, oh, there's never any new ideas. Everything is on a remake and things like that. And apparently, this film is based on a book 
that's from the 1940s and they also made it into a film like a year later 1947 mm-hmm. so it's like even back then they were making movies out of films so movies uh, out of films movies out sorry, of books <laughs> mo- movies out of books um sorry i guess my brain is still fried from <laughs> it was a long two and day a half hour. yeah it's been a very long day <laughs> it's okay but yeah, like maybe it's been happening this whole time and it's just like every generation has that thing where it's like, oh, there's nothing original. Well, I had a good time or I was intrigued and entertained the entire time. Do you have any other thoughts or should I jump into the summary? Let's get into it. All right. Okay, so since we just got back from watching it and it was a very long, dense film with a lot of characters, I'm just going to read the plot summary from Wikipedia, so just give me a little heads up. Strap in. Yeah, strap in, true. Okay. Stanton, Stan, Carlisle, burns down his Midwestern home and takes a job as a carny. When the traveling carnival's geek becomes ill, owner Clem enlists Stan to help him dispose of the man. Stan is disturbed at how any man could sink to the level of performing as a geek, biting off the heads of live chickens for a crowd. Clem explains that he seeks out alcoholics or drug addicts, often men with troubled pasts, and lures them in with promises of a temporary job and opium-laced alcohol. He uses their dependence to physically and mentally abuse them until they sink into madness and depravity, thus creating a geek for his carnival. He then shows Stan where he stores the moonshine he brews to control these carnies, but he warns him not to mistake it for the wood alcohol he stores nearby, which is poisonous. Stan has never touched alcohol in his life, so is unconcerned. Stan works with clairvoyant act Madame Zena and her alcoholic husband Pete. Zena and Pete use cold reading and a coded language system to make it appear that she has an extraordinary mental power, which Pete begins teaching to Stan. He and Zena warn Stan not to ever use these skills to continue leading patrons on when it comes to the dead, what they call a spook show. They always inform the customers afterward that it is a deception, otherwise people will get hurt. Meanwhile, Stan becomes attracted to a fellow performer, Molly, and approaches her with an idea for a two-person act away from the carnival. One night, Stan accidentally gives Pete wood alcohol and the man dies. In the aftermath, Stan swears his love to Molly and reiterates his plan to her. She accepts, and they leave the carnival behind. Two years later, Stan has successfully reinvented himself as the Great Stanton, a psychic act for the wealthy urban elite, with Molly as his assistant, using Xena and Pete's techniques. During a performance, their act is interrupted by psychologist Dr. Lilith Ritter, who attempts to expose their code system. Stan's cold reading allows him to best Ritter, keeping their act safe. He is later approached by the wealthy judge Harrington, who employed Ritter to test Stan. He is now convinced of Stan's ability and offers to pay him handsomely to allow him and his wife to communicate with their dead son. Despite Molly's objections to the spook show, Stan agrees. Ritter invites Stan to her office, knowing he is a con man. She is nevertheless intrigued by his manipulative skill. Through her recorded sessions with her clients, she has accumulated sensitive information about various members of the city's social elite. She and Stanton begin an affair and they conspire together to manipulate Harrington with Ritter secretly providing private information to fuel his charade. 
charade. Whichever one. She also begins therapy sessions with Stan, who reveals his guilt over Pete's death and his hatred of his alcoholic father, who he killed in their home before joining the carnival. That is a end reveal. <laughs> it's not revealed there. Harrington introduces Stan to the powerful Ezra Grindle. Grindle wishes to speak to his long-lost illegitimate lover, Dory, who died of a forced miscarriage. Despite warnings from Ritter that Grindle is dangerous, Stan begins scamming Grindle and begins drinking. Molly becomes increasingly uncomfortable upon learning of the affair with Ritter and leaves Stan. He begs her to stay, but she refuses, only agreeing to help him one last time. She poses as Dory for Stan's ultimate act, conjuring Dory from afar for Grindle. However, he loses control of Grindle, who grabs Molly, and reveals himself to be a violent abuser of women plagued by his guilt over Dory. Upon realizing that Dory is a fake, he violently threatens Stan, who kills him. They flee, and Molly leaves Stan for good. Stan goes to Ritter for help, but discovers that she's been scamming him all along, keeping the money for herself. She expresses disappointment in realizing that he was nothing more than a base, money-driven criminal. She contacts the police and threatens to use her recordings of their sessions as evidence that he is mentally disturbed should he try and implicate her. Stan attacks her, but she shoots him and he flees. A wanted man, injured, and with nowhere else to go, Stanton wanders around for years as a hobo, sunk in alcoholism. At his limit, he tries to get a job at another carnival. The owner turns him away, but at the last minute offers him a drink and a temporary job as a new geek. Finally broken, Stan agrees, saying, Mr. I was born for it. He begins laughing before it gradually turns into sobbing. Very depressing end. Should we start at the beginning? In the opening scene, we see Stanton dragging what looks like a body in like a, I don't know, wrapped up in something. Do we see him bury it? I... There was a hole in the floor and he dropped it into the hole mm -hmm. and then he set the but house on fire. But it's like outside or, or he he it does was... it inside the house? Yeah. Uh, and then he sets the house on fire. He had like ripped um, up floorboards, dug a hole or maybe that hole was already there. But Yeah, because uh, this film has foreshadowing throughout everywhere and... Hopefully once this film becomes available on like streaming service or like on rent or DVD or something, I really want to rewatch it to kind of see how many more things I, I'm, I'm able to pick up on. Yeah, that sounds fun. I did notice that as he's leaving the house, it's in this big open field, just a lone house and he's walking away and it looked very much like it was referencing this really famous painting called Christina's World. I've seen that in other films too. It's a really beautiful uh, painting. And so and we see Stan essentially walking away from the house and it looks like he's in a train next. Um, a bus, something well, like that. One, one of the cool things that I like about this film is they don't really tell you where it's at. I think we all know that it takes place here in the U.S. American culture, they reference FDR being president. I think later on, they say it's two years later and they're talking about 1941. Mm -hmm. So this is probably 37 to 39, maybe, as he's wandering throughout the US, but they don't really tell us where. It's interesting because in like the short little blurb that comes up when you just Google it, it said in New York. And then mm -hmm. when I was reading the wiki, uh, summary it said in Chicago, so I just kind of skipped over that because I was like, 
I is what I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um when when I was reading about the film, it seems like at least once him and Molly have their own act, they also reference New York like they talk about um Lilith Ritter being a a Buffalo psychologist, so Buffalo, oh, okay. New York rather than like Manhattan, thing. New York. Um but yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's true or just like that's what people think, but it's one of those where you get this very, I guess, high society feel that both New York and Chicago, uh, I'm sure there are other cities that, that can show that. But then also like tied to the carnivals where it's kind of like in the more rural areas. That's true, yeah. So he gets off at a stop where there's a carnival and he follows someone into the carnival and we meet Willem Dafoe, Clem, the owner, and I was like, I, I guess I didn't watch that many trailers for it because I wanted to be as, unbi- not unbiased, but know as little as possible before going in. And I didn't know he was in this film. And then it was so funny because every scene was another well-known actor. And I was like, is this a Wes Anderson film? There were so many <laughs> well-known actors in it. But it's interesting because a lot of these characters are doing really shady things and really bad things, but they have... I think the writers did a really good job of creating humanity for everyone in this film because Willem Dafoe's character is, he's really bad. I mean, he's abusing people, making geeks is what the film calls them, out of people. But he's likable. He's got some charm to him. And I love how he's always performing. Like him and Stan will be backstage looking at some oddities and he's like the wonderful and marvelous i'm like who are you performing for it's just you and stan that's that's who he is i love it he's the performer yeah and we don't know why he burned down his i mean i think we're assuming that he burned down his house as he's leaving it and then he goes on a train stops and it seems like he was asleep and he gets woken up by like the conductor saying hey this is the last stop yeah so he's just happen to be there yeah very happenstance but it is interesting because then he gets a job so like eh, whatever you can have a job here it's fine and i was like well that's lucky no (laughs) but mm. yeah well like as as he's following him he ends up in this tent where um william defoe's character i think it was it was like here's a beast or not quite man or something like that and they're like this person requires no food and water and he just exist but that tonight they were going to feed them so they're enticing people into coming in and seeing this this beast this creature it's what they call the geek Mm -hmm. yeah and so much of this film revolves around and i guess this would be like people's personal choice like being a con or like entertaining Mm. like the illusion um but saying things that really aren't true but then people are like amazed by it because the geek is clearly just a human a a man who's being like essentially abused by by the the ringleader but also performing i'm assuming to a certain extent like like in the very beginning they had to agree to it but um now they're being controlled and like you said they they keep them in a in a drunk or drug state of mind well Willem Dafoe's character does tell Stan later how he creates a geek, essentially. And it's, you give him alcohol and put some opium in it, and then you kind of play these mind games with him. Like, oh, it's temporary. Oh, you're not a real geek. Like, you're not what we're looking for. We're just waiting to get a a real one. And that's how you kind of like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that was like a tame way of saying how he 
creates one because it seems like he does physically and mentally abuse them. But yeah, I don't think it's a real agreement. I don't yeah. think they're in any right state of mind to agree to that. Yeah, and then uh, we see him grab a chicken mm-hmm. and throw it in to, I don't know, I guess he's like... He's in a, a ring. Yeah, a, a ring. And they open the door and the person comes out and he's like choking... Um, the chicken? Yeah. but The rooster? Well, that's an innuendo oh. for masturbation. That's I was like, oh, I get it why they did that now. So he's choking the chicken. Okay. Um, but then he like bites its neck and head off and he mm-hmm. starts drinking the blood. And we see uh, Stan, I guess, be like grossed out or, or seeing this disdain or hatred towards how can somebody do that. Mm-hmm. And he starts leaving. But also part of it is because they're saying they're you not pay a quarter. Yeah. They're, <laughs> They start off with like, oh, you don't have to pay a dollar. You don't even have to pay 50 cents. It's just a quarter. He's a salesman to too. Yeah. Always performing. Um, which in like today's world, people go in and I feel like every store always has everything on sale. So it's like, what really is the true price of something? But it's like, if people believe they're getting a good deal on something, they're more likely to buy it. So now that someone's walking around collecting the quarters, Stan's walking out of the tent. Um, yeah, but Willem Dafoe does, I should just call him Clem. Clem does Clem, catch is that. Clem, Okay, yeah. Because yeah. uh, they offer him a temporary job. Interesting. And it's for a dollar. And then when he goes to collect his pay later, he only gives him three quarters. And he's like, nah, I saw you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then like... they do end up hiring him on full time. At one point, the geek gets out of his cage and the whole carnival is looking for him. It's like after hours, I think. And they go into this building that I just loved. I love the design of it. It was like something about the house of damnation. It's all about the seven sins. And there, <laughs> it had like decorations of like lust, greed, you know, all over the walls. And then it had this mirror. And it was like <sighs> something about like, look at yourself, you sinner. And I was like, excuse me, as a person in this universe, I come to the carnival to judge others, <laughs> not to be judged. But... I was rewarded for thinking that because, like, a little bit later, Willem Dafoe, <laughs> Clem says, when he's talking about the geek, he's like, people pay to look down on others to make themselves feel better. I was like, exactly. <laughs> so why do you have a mirror in here being like you? Maybe it's a little dig at them. Yeah, They're like maybe. jerks. Yeah. And throughout the film, there's so many literary uses of religion whether it's in symbolisms and the words and like Lilith's name, for example. Yeah. So I was wondering if you, yeah, because that's like the devil's or well, the first Eve or something well, like so that. It, in, and it, it, it kind of varies. And yeah, I, I highly <laughs> doubt the Christian church has ever confirmed. But on some beliefs, it's Lilith is kind of like a demon mother to like, some of Adam's illegitimate children because he separated from Eve. And in other stories, and, I, and the first time I had heard of it, um, the History Channel had a thing called like Banned from the Bible or, or Books from the Bible that like aren't part of the Bible. Oh, right, yeah. And Lilith is essentially an equal to Adam. So in, in the story goes that Eve was created through Adam's rib mm-hmm. and is therefore beneath him because she was made of him. Where Lilith was made from the same soil that Adam was made from, and therefore, in like God's eyes, them being equal. Can't have that. Yeah, well, I know. <sighs> that makes sense for Lilith Ritter's character then, because she's like 
She is a unmarried woman. She's never been married. She does her own thing. She likes, it seems like she likes the single life and she has a career that pays her well. It seems her, her office is gorgeous. It's like she's fighting for that equality, even though, yeah, it doesn't exist in that time period, but she's doing great for with what she's got. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because, um, so this, when we meet Lilith, it's in that early 1940s in the time where it was definitely the man makes the money and the, the woman stays at home and takes care of the kids or the, or the home. And this is right before the U.S. gets into World War II, where the men go to war and then really is the first time, at least to my knowledge, in American culture where like women are working most jobs and you saw those posters like we can do it and things like that. So it's like this whole movement towards women empowerment. So this is even before that. Um, and she's a psychologist. So she went to school, got her degree and yeah. then started her practice. When she... And we're skipping ahead a little bit, so we'll probably go back. But real quick, when she gives Stan her card at one point, he even remarks, oh, she's a doctor. Mm -hmm. Like, while working at the carnival, Stan meets very important people to his future, which are Zena and her husband, Pete. And they're, they have like a mystic show kind of thing, like yeah, a yeah. mind reading oh, act. What did, what did they call it? Like mentalism? Mm, or... I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, they're essentially take visual cues from someone and kind of like profile them. But I thought it was really cool that they have their own language and it means something. So, for example, when, they, when they're kind of like first talking to Stan and then we see it in practice, Xena is, uh, I guess, like the, the main uh She's like the front person, yeah. the front woman. So she's like, tell me something that this person's holding. And then Pete would give her, um, we'll say a certain sentence. And each word means, oh, this is like jewelry. It's this color. It's, it's old. It's new. And it reminded me a lot of the movie 21, oh. where like, oh, you come in and sit at the table and they give you some word to, to let you know what the count is. I think in, in one of the, the first examples, she says uh, something, because uh, Stan gives her a watch. a watch, or gives, yeah, gives her the watch, and she's telling Pete. She's giving him the verbal clues. Like, what is something, and, and like calls him professor, and it's like each word that he said gave Pete the clues, so then he's putting on the act, and it's like thinking, and he he's later on takes Stan as his um, apprentice, student, maybe. apprentice, and tells him, like, you need to have your fingers oh, at, yeah, parallel like, to your thumb. This your, means something. This yeah. means something. Like, you're asking your partner about, like, what is, what is this? Mm -hmm. what, did, what are they holding? What color? Kind of a thing. But yet, so he does teach him a lot, but their code is in this book, and that book, he doesn't want to teach from it. Because as we find out later, he says it can corrupt you, I think, in a way. Like, you start to believe that you have the power and God is the one who will ultimately judge you. And that's why Pete has stopped using it and stopped doing that act. Mm -hmm. But I think, because I never got the impression that, because um, I thought that meant that Stan was going to believe his own ability, that he actually was a medium or something like that. But I think in terms of him believing in his own power, 
I think it was him believing in his ability to con people and to manipulate them. So that's the power that he believed in. And then obviously, ultimately did bring about his downfall. Yeah. And here's what one of those like scenes where I really want to go back and watch them because there's so much foreshadowing and so much of the stage that gets set with this conversation. And to break some of that down, so Pete is an older gentleman. And any time that Stan interacts with an older gentleman, I feel like he separates them into two people. Are you like my dad or are you not? Mm. And any time that that person is like his dad, and he describes his dad as somebody who is weak because he says, his mom left him for another man because he wasn't uh, strong enough or man enough. Yeah, and that's his fault. <laughs> um, he was a drunk. So Stan, at this point, drinks no alcohol. He's never touched He's, he's never touched it. When people offer him a drink, he's like, I never drink. And focuses on the word never, which Lilith Ritter ends up picking up later on when they're, when they're talking in their sessions. A little bit elitist, I think, is what she's getting at. And then the last one is, is a liar. Um, I don't, we don't know too much about the dad, so I don't know why, uh, the, the liar thing is, but Stan is doing everything in his power to not be his dad. Mm. And the tragic story is that by the end of the film, spoilers, is that he becomes his father. He ends up being weak. He ends up being a drunk again, or for the first time. And he's essentially a con man or, or a liar entertainer. And that's where the line kind of gets because if if you're a magician you're an illusionist are, are you a con man like but, you're entertaining but like like i can see the 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 argument on both sides right so there is a little bit of with the um mentalism like con man situation because if someone believes you someone believes you and like in a magician people are like oh we all know it's a trick you know but some people might believe what's really happening with a mentalist but this is what i really liked about Zena. So she does this whole show. We see her do a show and she gets this woman believing that like her dead brother is there and she feels her and then afterwards she she had to do that because Pete was drunk and he kind of messed up the signals. So after the show, she tells her the truth and I was really shocked by that. But she's like we always tell people the truth when they're in too deep because people can get hurt if they think that this is real and they'll ask for more and yeah, because Stan tells her, why don't you just tell her what she wants to hear? Give You're not hope. hurting anyone. Give her hope. Because I, um, I think the audience wrote something in the card and hers was she was worried about her mom. So it was like, tell her that her mom's going to be okay. Like, are you really hurting someone? Mm-hmm. Like when someone says, pray for my family and you say your family's going to be okay. Like, are you giving them false hope? Are you just helping them hold on? And I feel like at this point... Stan is like, just give them that false hope. You can help someone. You can help someone get better. But I, th- by this time, I feel like Pete had definitely walked that line and realized, no, you can't give people false hope because he tells them that people are going to get hurt. And as we go through this mo- film, we actually see people getting hurt when you cross that line. I agree. But I'm... I'm also kind of curious what other ways people could get hurt because I'm kind of of the fact like if people want to believe that their dead family members, they are supporting them like, yeah, what's the harm? They get comfort from that. What's the harm? And we do see a very specific harmful reason, which is when he is catering to the wealthy elite 
and he tells the uh, a couple that there's he has them interact with their son and they think that they do. I think he says, oh, you're going to be together again someday is what the son says and he can't wait. So the mom ends up shooting her husband and herself. So yeah, that's a very immediate and obvious way of hurting people. But I'm like, how? not to say how often would that happen, but I don't think that's the natural response of people. So what in what other ways are people going to get hurt? I just, I kind of think, it yeah, doesn't think, often hurt people. Not uh, that I would do it, but I'm just saying. I think it'll depend on people's state of mind mm. and, and maybe even their like mental stability where I do think maybe that woman was not mentally stable or well, maybe she, she's had her heart broken because she had to bury her son that that allowed her to justify murdering her husband and then committing suicide to be together with someone. Now, if someone says, oh, my loved one is here, they do something to their life, they do something to somebody else, who knows, like, uh, I, think, I think that's where, like, people's creativity, to call it creativity, may lead down the wrong path. Like, later on, we meet Ezra, and some of the bad stuff that he's done, and wants to, I guess, kind of be forgiven, or just, like, apologize for some of his actions to the person he wants to reach beyond the grave we can get into more when we get there because i find him very fascinating mm. i wanted to know so much more about him but like i kind of want to hold off for now i did notice at one point stan takes a bath and there's like a really long gnarly scar on the his back which i mean i guess i assume it's from his father we never learn what what it's from or anything and then later in the film so I thought it was kind of a mirroring of each other because Lilith has a huge scar down her front and she alludes to it, I assume. It sounded like Ezra did it or had it done to her. I was curious. I mean, they're clearly connected. There are these huge scars on both of them. And I'm like, is it just that they're very similar and they overextend themselves sometimes and get into really bad situations, which we see happens in the end to Stan? Maybe Lilith will get there eventually, or maybe she'll skate that line for the rest of her life and be okay, but clearly she's encountered something already. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how Stan got his... I, I completely missed it. I must have uh, been writing been <laughs> writing down some notes about this That's the problem, and, right? And that, that happened. But you missed some things. In Lilith's case, I do think that it was her altercations with Ezra, mm-hmm. because she warns stand not to get involved with this guy she calls him mentally unstable uh, i think like deranged extremely powerful he's a billionaire yeah and the consequences are permanent permanent that's what it was yeah yeah i remember she used that word and she shows him this scar and we'll, we'll talk more about ezra later but i get the sense that he went to her she started helping him he didn't get the answers or she didn't say the words he wanted to hear and so there are consequences when you do not he meet pro- his expectations. Yeah, he probably wanted to be absolved from his guilt because I saw this as well with Stan. He's like, I gave you money. Why aren't you doing what I told you to do? It's like, that's how he controls mm-hmm. people. So I feel like he, with Lilith, was like, especially back then, like therapy is not a process. It's not something I have to work out at as a patient. Like, I'm paying you. You tell me what I want to know. You tell me that I'm guiltless. And it, she didn't. And yeah. then he probably went off yeah because it it looked like it's maybe not so much horizontal but she has a huge scar down 
her her chest where it's like let's find out what these insides look like type stuff i i don't know but by the time that we meet Lilith, it's it's all healed up. It doesn't look fresh. It seems like maybe that was something that she had done. Yeah, she doesn't probably see... five plus years ago. Yeah, she, Ezra is not a client of hers anymore. To go back to uh, the carnival, Stan is having more and more interactions with Molly. He's played by Rooney Mara, who I love so much. She's so good, so good. So is Kate Blanchett, and they're in a movie together called Carol, and it's another sad one but it's good it's like a happy sad anyways another really funny line she does this electrocution act with those silver balls that send yeah, those, magnetic those spheres and she like touches one and you see that like jolt of electricity and she has both mm-hmm. and it goes through her body it's pretty mm-hmm. intense but stan has an idea for how to make it more theatrical and he's explaining to her we make this electric chair and we'll execute you We'll have the major execute, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, you want to execute me? And he's like, just for a second. (laughs) It was so good. And this was earlier in the movie where when they're talking about this, it made me think that the time period was even before, let's say, 1939. Because it seems like most people don't quite understand electricity. But if this was like, let's say, before World War One, where like in the Nikolai Tesla and Thomas Edison were doing the light bulb and having light in the world was a new thing. And then the concept of electricity was much more on the mystical and magical portion versus more of a scientific and engineering mm-hmm. type feat. Because people are like amazed that, oh, look, there's, there's electricity. I don't understand why he couldn't make something of himself stand because he is the most amazing artist. He draws so well. And he rigs up the whole electrocution chair system for Molly. So, like, he's an engineer, too. Yeah. And, and someone even goes, yeah, like, like I-, I didn't know you were an engineer. Yeah, and... right. I think they said it mockingly, but yeah. I did, like, because then behind her, there's, like, this big wheel that's all spinny. And they're, like, what's that for? And he's, like, oh, that, that's bullshit. Yeah. Just the delivery just is so good. <laughs> he's, like, this does this, this does this, this does this. They're, like, what's that? Mm. Bullshit. I think the first time we see Stan make a, a real verbal move on Molly, he's like, run away with me. We can do our own act. And I was like, oh, he's going to steal Xena and Pete's act for them. And she seems like kind of into it. She's like, yeah, I don't know. But she runs away and she runs to her little room and she just starts eating chocolate. And I'm like, yep, same. Just run away from human interaction and let me eat some chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> But before they left, there was a scene where Stan goes into the tent and he goes to interact with the geek. Mm. And I feel like he's just there kind of like looking at him. He must know that he's just a man. This this is not like, oh, can you really go a month without eating and drinking type yeah. thing? And he offers him his cigarette. Yeah. And throughout this film, he is like, a, he, he's smoking packs a day. Because there's scenes where you see him smoking and just light up two or three cigarettes within this same scene. So he he offers him this cigarette. And then symbolically, I'm thinking like, does this man just remind him of his father? And just like Ezra is kind of like asking for forgiveness. Is he kind of like asking? Like, I wouldn't say asking because we see what he does to Pete. But he feels bad about that, I think. And that was an accident. W- was it like i think it was because uh pete is 
like I said, the, the the characteristics that we know about his dad is that they're they're weak, drunk, and liars. And mm-hmm. Pete, I I don't know how weak he is. He seems like a pretty strong, mentally strong. Maybe not physically. He's an older man, but he's he's a complete drunk. And no, he's adorable. I love Pete. Uh, but like the Clem and then uh, Hellboy. Uh, I forget his name. It's like uh, I think he's Bruno in Bruno, this movie. Yeah. Like they they've told him like you're cut off. That's bad news bears. Like, okay, you might see Pete as a cute old man, but when the carnies cut you off from booze, you've really fucked up. I mean, he um, says you're cut off, but then he's like, all right, fine. I'll just yeah, it, it's kind of like one, but they're like, this is the last time. I don't know, maybe they've, they've said that. But, I'm sure they have. Like, he doesn't even want Xena? Yeah, his wife, Xena. To, to know that he's getting booze. So it's it's like late night they're under the tent stan was talking to pete and pete's like i want to go to sleep and he's like well then go to sleep and he's like i kind of need something I need incentive <laughs> go get me something and we see stan go up to the area where you have the booze and the wood alcohol what do they was it called wood alcohol which i'm assuming it's like booze and the methanol because when you're distilling it especially during like the the prohibition era where people were making like moonshine and other booze at home in the process of distilling ethanol, one of the byproducts is methanol, where if you drink it, you go blind and essentially, like, poison yourself. So I feel like that's what's in the wood alcohol, is, is just high amounts of methanol. And we see that Clem tells Stan, like, don't confuse these two. So yeah. I feel like for someone who doesn't drink, he's like, okay, I don't care. But to the audience, they tell us product A is good, product B is bad. And he gives Pete product B. Whether it's intentional, whether it was accidental, but like it happens. For me, I would say that's very intentional because Stan seems like a smart dude. He he was able to do everything that he does. Just because you're Um, smart doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. That isn't something that I think he would have made a mistake on. Interesting. Like, I mean, that's just like how I see Stan personally. So it's like if Pete reminded him of his dad and he killed him. And this geek reminds him of his dad. Why is he... And not to say he wasn't empathetic or compassionate with Pete. Mm-hmm. But, like, why is he there interacting with him? Because I feel like he was horrified that someone would take on this job. And it's like, why would you do that? And I feel like he must see something of his dad in him to just be there and, like, offer him a, a smoke of the cigarette. I think it was showing a bit of his humanity because there were, like, a few things throughout... Because he's not the best moral character as he gets more wealthy, more opportunities. But I feel like they do take the time to show him being compassionate so you can be on his side. And that was, to me, that was one of them. The other one was when the geek does actually end up getting sick. A head wound gets infested and they take him to a hospital or something and just drop him off. And it's raining. It's like raining the first half of the film and then snowing the second half. But he goes with Clem, and Clem's like, just drag him there, drop him there, we're done. But Stan tries to drag him under the ledge so he's not getting rained on while they wait. The other one that I can remember is when he does take Pete's book of clues. Secrets. Secrets. For him and Molly to start their own act. He does ask. He goes to Xena, and he he goes to give her back the book. And I thought he just stole it and left. But no, he was like, do you want this? And she's like, no, you earned it. Yeah, I think everyone is, most are very complicated characters that you can feel for. And I felt like those moments were really good for us not completely hating Stan by the end. Oh, I did want to say one thing that Pete said. 
uh, to Stan. He said, good people who are good at reading people usually learned as a child because they had to stay one step ahead. And I was like, oh. I was like, just made me think because I'm like, I'm bad at reading people. I'm like, oh, apparently I had a... That's a good thing then. To an extent, you should probably build those skills. <laughs> Some sort of basic survivalism. So after Pete's death, Molly and Stan leave, and Stan takes the books, the book with him. And then we get a two-year-later title card, or lower third, an awesome feathered transition. I think this time it was like a, a diamond off-centered. It didn't even seem like it went... I remember one closes one was... in on Molly's face, and I was like, oh, God. I love it. He that had was like in... my first PowerPoint presentation where your teacher makes you do transitions. He did that in Crimson Peak, too, so interesting. But yeah, so we see that they are living the life. They're catering to much wealthier people. They have a show, and they they're do in all... the city. They're not in the rural parts. Yeah, and he's uh, he's getting on Molly a bit about messing things up, which, I mean, everyone still seems very impressed. But then we see Kate Blanchett's character, who is Lilith. And that's where we get introduced to her, right? right? Looking as gorgeous as ever. But she's we see that she's been attending a few of the shows. She calls them out. So he'll, he'll put on a blindfold, and I think the act is that Molly takes an object from the person and then describes it in, through their code to Stan, and then everyone is impressed. But Lilith is like, let me go. Molly's like, give me the item. She's like, no, I think I'll hold on to it. So then she gives him, Molly gives Stan the clues, and he's like, it's a handbag. She's like, yeah, but what's in it? And then she's like, no, no, Molly. I'll give the, I'll tell him the questions. I'll ask him. And then he takes off his blindfold, which he admits is through a little bit of... dramatic effect. Exactly. And to better gauge what... He does this whole thing like, oh, you were holding your handbag just so, and it was of a certain size and weight, and it was like weighted towards the bottom. So he cold reads her and guesses that she has a gun in there. And then it's a very beautiful, embellished gun. He noticed that she didn't have a wedding ring and no or tan no line. tan. So he's like, you've never been married. So you're a single gal. You were there with other people. So it's like, clearly you like to party. Mm. And she's clearly beautifully dressed. And he's like, so you like nice things. So he's like, it's a gun. And then he says that it's like nickel coated and it has ivory handles. Yeah. Which I'm like, Jesus, like... Well, I feel back then they made less of things, so there's only so many options of... I guess that's true, yeah. But anyways, but then he goes in on her, and I was, even this part, I was like, dude, chill, calm down, because he's like, oh, you're... I don't think he calls her lonely, but he's like, kind of verbally attacking her. Yeah, because he calls her out on her mom. Yeah. Because that's something that he learned from Pete, where mm. it was like... Apparently, right. men have a thing with their dad and women have like a thing with their mom, speaking in generalizations, but he's like, for the most part. Right. But then later that does, yeah, that bites him in the butt. That's kind of like the main reason why everything goes south, I mm -hmm. think, because he attacked her in this moment. And I was like, well, I warned you. I told you yeah. to chill. But Molly's very mad about it, too. She's yeah. like, why would you do that? You shouldn't have kept attacking her. But this is when he gets his first wealthy client and they, Harrington, and they, He's a judge, right? Yeah. Like they say he's a judge. And they want him to do what the Carnies call a spook show. So this is the couple that wants to communicate with their dead son. 
And Molly is like, no, don't do that. We don't do that. Tell them it was fake. Yeah, Just like beware Zena did. the Ides of March, Stan, mm. and he doesn't do it. Stan also reminds me of like Icarus, where it's like Icarus had wings and you fly too close to the sun and you get burned. But if you're a con man, like, eventually you're just going to keep doing it until you get burned. Well, and, and I think that's the one where it's like you walk the line. Like, I think in other shows like, like Boardwalk or anything that has to do with, like, mob, it's like you can do up to a certain point and kind of, like, stay under the radar. But once you cross that line, and I feel like in this film, it's like Pete and Xena always told the clients, like, hey, this was fake. We, we do this for entertainment purposes. But Stan is starting to play that game of he is a clairvoyant or he is a medium, which Pete had warned him once you start and maybe he words this as once you start believing the power is true, but maybe he means it as once your audience starts believing mm. the power is true, then people are going to get hurt. And this is where we see the scale tip over. Yeah, see, I took it as him believing in his own power to deceive others. So he was like, I'm good enough to deceive anyone and get away with everything. And, and it could be that way as well, because, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but Stan needs to put on essentially a show to make other people believe that his power is true. Yeah. So he has to believe that he has the skills to con or to make other people believe. So it's like, I feel like you can see it both ways. Yeah. Well, I only meant that way because I don't ever think that Stan believes that he's clairvoyant or anything like that. But he decides to... Lilith gives him her business card. So he decides to meet with her. And her, like I said, her office is gorgeous. It reminded me of uh, those wooden puzzle boxes. Mm -hmm. So pretty. But she has a bunch of recordings on all her clients. And he's like, I want to make a deal with you. I want to, I want you to give me information on your clients. and then." We can split the money and get rich because I'll and, do all this clairvoyant stuff with the information you give me. And this is where I think like Lilith is incredibly smart because she did challenge his show. And somehow like she was even surprised, like, how did you know it was a gun? And he kind of tells her, but he pretty much confesses to her like, yes, you were right. This like Molly gives me cues. Mm -hmm. That tells me what the uh, item is. And then the crowd is amazed. Mm -hmm. So she he essentially like blur, you know, tells the secret is out. Yeah. And she still wants to, to work with him. She wants, instead of money, she wants to do therapy sessions with mm -hmm. him, which I was like, oh, well, she does want the money in the end. So I think that was for uh, blackmail purposes. I, I think that was part of her act because mm. once Stan call, not just calls her out and kind of like, proves his power by guessing that she has a gun. But once he brings the, her mom into it, he even says, like, you're not strong enough. Oh, that's true. I feel like from that point on, she's Get like, I'm going to show you how strong I really am. Yep. And she puts on her own show by making Stan believe that she's on his side. They end up having an affair, and she's just kind of, like, leading him on, all just to bring him down later. It is interesting because when we get the interactions with them in the office between Stan and Lilith, it's so, I had to like just think of it as very old school film noir because I love Kate Blanchett, but she was like schmarming it up and she felt like the evil stepmom from Cinderella. Oh. <laughs> she was doing like that same character and I'm like, 
are we supposed to think that she's not evil because she's evil? Not evil, but you know, like, she is not a friend to Stan. See, and for me, all that I was missing was a little bit of light around her eyes because she reminded me so much of like... Um, was it Morticia? Yeah, There Morticia was one Adams. shot. Yeah, I was like, oh, just put that bar yeah. of light. I mean, granted, her, her hair was blonde, but she's in black the whole time. Yeah. She has the bright red lipstick. And I don't know if it's just like the, the contours of her face or the, the angles that they chose to show great her. Great cheekbones. I'm like, this is like Morticia Adams in 1941 when she was blonde. Yeah, so he cons the first client successfully, and then he gets word-of-mouth recommendation for this new client who turns out to be Ezra Grindle and... One of the most powerful men. Yeah, Lilith is very unnerved by this. She's like, you shouldn't do that. He is an interesting character to me, and this is one of the things that I was a little bit like, oh, I wish it were a bit different, because there are so many characters in this film, and they're all pretty much filled out really well. But I feel like because there are so many characters, we don't get to delve that deeply into them. And I really want it more on Ezra so bad. Also with Lilith and, yeah, a bit on Stan. Honestly, he was like, yeah, he's a little lower tier to me. But <laughs> So with Ezra, well, first he calls him in and he calls him into a prison. Is that what it was? I couldn't really tell. Cause... Well, they took all his stuff and it looked like there were guards and people. Yeah, but like the outside of this building to me didn't really look like the outside of a prison. Really? I saw it and the first thing I said was, does he live in a prison? <laughs> or I wrote. It, it kind of looked like a warehouse to me. Like, I, The second thing I put was school maybe? But then my high school had that weird... Oh, uh, yeah. They didn't have any windows. Schools in climates where it's cold do have a prison-like feel. Yeah, he makes them do a lie detector test, a polygraph. Which I'm like, good good for him. Like, might as well find out. Because they say that they've had other people who claim to be uh, mediums. But I'm like, what'd you do with them? Did you murder them because they didn't pass the lie detector test? Like, this guy is so weirdly creepy and interesting. So when they set up the lie detector test, I thought it was very interesting that they start, you know, it's kind of like, oh, what's your name, blah, 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 some basic questions they say to establish a baseline. And then as soon as they ask him, like, are you a medium? Like, and then I've never taken one of these tests, but movies, from what I've seen, is like, the person can't really tell if the machine can tell if they're lying or not. And the machine's doing the thing that we all kind of see in the movies where it's like some needle that moves left and right, kind of like those earthquake scales. But like, as soon as they ask him, like, is he a median? The machine starts going like, and it's like this really loud, okay, clearly he knows something's up because the machine wasn't doing anything. And they're like, can you talk to the dead? And he's like, yeah. And then it starts like freaking out again. And I feel well, like it's first, di- probably the first edition of it. So. Yeah, I get that's true. Oh. Maybe maybe modern day devices are, are, are quieter. But I feel like he accurate. knows that they know he's failing this polygraph test. He then starts his act. Mm-hmm. And at this point, Lilith had given him some material on Ezra. She was very limited in what information she wanted to give him, but he has just enough to make him pull everybody out of the room and go into a separate room. And you kind of hear like, how does he know this? No one should know this information. And as crazy as he is, I'm like, 
you should be able to deduce, hey, my psychologist or my therapist, I confided in her. That's the psychologist to this guy who just referred him, like, couldn't you have connected the dots there? That's true, but I think that's why she didn't want to give Stan any information on it, because she's like, the only where place he would have gotten that from, or you would have gotten that information, was from me. But did she give him any information at all? I thought he stole it. He's no, like, but that was before. Okay. I didn't like, think she gave him any info on So him. She, she tells him that it was a forced miscarriage or something like that. Maybe okay. that was like much more like public, not, maybe not even public knowledge, but I feel like more people knew. There's... After that meeting, he was like, okay, he's going to hire me. I need more dirt on him, essentially. And she's like, no way, you're not getting that from me. And she ends up stepping away to like the restroom or something like that. And he ends up making a mold of um, the key, the key of the safe. All her recordings, yeah. yeah. So it's just like classic rich person behavior. He's like, I know what I can buy with my money. And at one point, he gives him 10 grand because he wants to see this. A manifestation of Dory. Yeah, his, his lover, partner, uh, who had died in a forced miscarriage. And is that like another way of saying an abortion? Yeah. Okay. I would assume so. That's what I thought. But it was so annoying because he's getting impatient and he's just like, it's just like such a mentality that like, I gave you money. Now I own you. It's like, no, I gave you, you gave this person money to provide a service. So if they don't provide the service, give them money back. You don't own them. But like, that's just how I feel like certain people think. And they're like, well, I gave you money. So now you owe me and you're under my thumb and I got that vibe from him so bad. Yeah, because in, in one of those conversations and Stan has to keep him interested enough where he's, he's still paying him 10 grand a session, oh, God. but not giving him enough to like know that he, he's fake. And it's one of those where he's like, OK, it's going to take many sessions for me to train you to like be able to talk to her. Or to be able to see her. Right. It's like, isn't $10,000 enough for me to know how to talk to the dead? And he's like, Stan says something about like, you're not going to be able to buy this. And then he's kind of like, not to tune my own horn, but yes, I have enough money to be able to buy the ability to bring back my dead lover back from the dead and and communicate with her. But he wants Molly, Stan wants Molly to dress up as the woman because he digs up some more dirt through nefarious, not nefarious, but through less than savory means. He's like bribing people and he gets a photo of her and from afar, you could say that she looks like um, Molly. When he breaks into Lilith's recordings, he then starts doing research on like what he says. I think they they talk about something happened in May of a certain year. So he starts looking into that. He's bribing people to get the information because some of it looked like personal belongings, like some postcards and things like that. Maybe there was like a safety deposit box that he got into. I thought that they were in, in a, he was in a library at first, but then the safety deposit box pops out. And I'm like, is that a bank then? Like, where is he? It doesn't matter. Yeah. He gets some notes from her, her picture. He finds the article about her dying in a newspaper. And it's like, mystery man, like who's the father, I guess, had a little circle with the guy's face. Not his face, just like a question mark. 
So Molly obviously does not want to do that. She's very stressed out. It's part of that out. spook show, and she's not willing to cross that line. Yeah, and she's on the fence, I think, because she really loves Stan, and she wants to help him. But then she's going through his book of drawings. She keeps flipping through the notebook and sees a drawing of Lilith. So I think infers that he's cheating on her with her. She leaves. She writes him a note. She's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to leave. And he goes to find her at the train station. And I really like this scene because they're moving. This must have been so difficult to film. They're moving throughout all these different parts in the train station. They're going across barriers through people. Like, yeah, there's a ton of people in there. And they're just tracking them through this whole station. I'm like, genius, that's so impressive. I was like, good job. It was really sad because this is another moment that made me feel for him. He's like, please don't leave me. Everyone in my life has left me. And I think that is the line that gets her. And she is like, I will do this for you because you need me to do this or you're going to be in big trouble. That's it. I'm done afterwards. I'm not doing I'm leaving. Oh, so the big night comes and it is tense and it is stressful. Ezra has constructed this gorgeous, elaborate outside garden to Dory, and it's snowing, of course, and Stan's like, we're gonna go there, you're gonna confess your sins, and she's gonna come. And it'll be just great. Great to see your dead loved one who you forced to get an abortion, and now she's dead. Wonderful. But, okay, so yeah, they're ramping up the tension, Molly's getting dressed, she's putting blood, not real blood, but like red paint on her hands, and She's in the gown, and then we see Stan and Ezra talking, and he keeps checking his watch. And then he's like, you have to confess to everything that you did. And then Ezra starts going off about how he has hurt so many women. There's she just was one... just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, there's just one point when it like all kind of stills and goes, I hurt them. And I just got fucking chills. It was horrific. I was so terrified of him. And then that's when Dory walks in. And I was like, oh, Dory, sorry. Well, like, Dory. Yeah. That's when Molly comes Molly's in. Molly's dressed up as Dory. And I was so scared for her. I was so scared for everyone. I'm like, this is something entirely different. Like, this man is evil. See, and like, me thinking, like, ghosts or supernatural was going to come in, I thought this was going to be it. Like, no, because the scary thing in, to me in that scene is Ezra. Mm-hmm. He is the bad thing there. And. Yeah, that's the other thing he talks about, like, being haunted by all the guilt. Something like that's his ghost, but fuck you. You deserve you deserve so much worse. God, it was terrifying. I was like, oh. But, um, yeah, he goes up to her because Stan's plan. And I'm just like, how do you even think it's ever going to work out the way you think it is? He's going to get Ezra to pray. And then when he closes his eyes, Molly will leave. And I'm like, dude, what? No, of course. Ezra, like, runs over and grabs her and then... When he, he's so close to her, I think Molly starts freaking out, like, I can't do this. And then he's like, you're not her. Yeah, because I wonder if she would have played the part, if he would have, like, recognized her. Because in the images that Stan drew, and granted, this, these are drawings, but he's kind of like a... He's a master. Yeah, like, he's, he's better than Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic in terms oh. of detailed drawings. But it's like, okay, I see some resemblance. So it's like if she tried to like hide her face behind a veil, like maybe put on some dark makeup. She was like, I don't forgive you. Don't ever look at me. Well, I mean, maybe she sort of said like, I forgive you. Let me go Mm. just so she can like leave. Right. You don't want to antagonize the guy. I suppose maybe they could have gotten away with it. But she's just kind of like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. 
And then he's like, who the hell are you? And clearly realizes this is a fake thing. He's full of shit. He's giving him a fortune. And he ends up like slapping Molly to the ground. Yeah. And then Stan punches his nose off. Oh, it was I don't know what. We just, he punches him a bunch and then we just see his face and it's flat. Yeah. And then in the next scene, one of his body cards runs out to help and Stan runs him over in the car because they had the car like waiting just around the corner and he runs over him. But then when they show that, his it looks like his face got torn off and then his one arm's like, yeah. and I'm just like, there's like that broke. patented Guillermo del Toro violence. I was waiting for it. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, ooh. Yeah, so... Here And when he first meets up with Ezra, Stan kind of tells him, like, we need to be alone for this. And he sends the bodyguard away. And the bodyguard goes to, I don't know, I guess, like, the prison that you were saying, the the building. There's a radio. And they're talking about FDR and some issues. Clearly, this is, like, right before the U.S. is going to get into World War II. Well, yeah, they talked about Japan and the U.S., Mm -hmm. so. So... Then you hear, like, this broadcast is interrupted, and the guard hears that the Harrington's the, the judge suicide. and his wife has been, like, a murder-suicide. So I don't know how that entices him to, like, let me go check on this other guy. Maybe it's, like, one of those where, hey, these were his last clients. Because he kind of tells Stan, like, I'm on to you. Yeah. Like, I don't believe you. You're full of shit. But, like, for whatever reason, he likes you. So whatever. And it's one of those where now he's, like, did Stan kill them? And now he's going to try and kill Ezra? Like, let me go intervene. Because I was like, why would that radio report make him go out after him? Because after uh, Stan punches Ezra... The cop is, a, or the, the guard is already running, and he's starting to shoot at Stan. Yeah. Well, you gotta face your moral consequences in the end. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, we're gonna run away, Molly. And Molly's like, no. And she just leaves. I don't know where she goes, but she's le- she leaves. She's out of the movie. And he goes to Lilith's office, and she seems pretty supportive. She's like, here's your money. You can leave. And then she's like, I've always loved you. And he's like, what? And he pauses and she's like, oh man, did I oversell it? And I was like, oh damn, girl, mm-hmm. just just dropping the act now, huh? Yeah, because that tone changed this fast mm-hmm. where like I was like, what did I miss? Was there like a scene that I didn't see? One second or a scene ago, it's kind of like they're partners. Now it's like, hey, I'm conning you. And for me, that transformation seemed a little bit too fast. Mm, I don't think so. I always thought she was gonna, I don't know. She seemed like she was out for her own good. And it kind of, yeah, she kind of, to me, I thought, yeah, the only reason why she conned him is because he made a fool out of her at the club and said some things to her that she didn't like maybe they were true about her and her mom but she was like fuck that i am like you said i am strong i guess because she she took him on as a patient to create this story of delusion and all of that because she's like recording him and she's like you're delusional what money what are you talking about then she shoots him in the ear (laughs) and calls the police Mm -hmm. and he is very distraught because he tries to strangle her as the police are like coming into the room and i'm like oh okay all right yeah and so it's not a good look and he runs through the back and locks the door breaks the key i guess to to stop them yeah and it's like in the hallway where i thought that was the bathroom for some reason mm. but uh, i guess her office has like two exits and now he's on the run from the police 
But yeah, she does say some hurtful things to him before that. She's like, you're not actually good at reading people, which I think he is. But I think she's just a little salty. But she's like, people fool themselves. You don't fool them. And she was disappointed in him because for him, it was only about the money. And she's like, you are such a small man. Like, oh, she was been waiting to say that to you yeah. this whole time. Yeah. You shouldn't have gone after her, man. Yeah, he's on the run from the cops and he hops onto a train. And I'm like, is it foreshadowing if it's like five minutes later? But he hops into the train with all the chickens. And what is what have we seen the geeks do? Bite off heads of chickens. So I didn't know that years had passed. I mean, I know he has a beard now, but mm-hmm. I didn't get that. I just yeah. maybe a month or so. But Yeah, I mean, considering that the other one said two years later, you would have thought that they would have put X number of years later. Uh, or sometime later. Sometime later. That's what the beard is for. <laughs> yeah, so he finds himself at a, a new carnival, and they've actually... It seems like the old one had gone out of business because they had some things from their... Some oddities from that old carnival. He's like, yeah, I bought it off of one that went defunct or whatever. We see the whole setup that Clem kind of told him at the beginning of how he creates a geek. The guy's like, I don't have anything for you. Go away. And he's like, yeah, I'll drink with you. And he gives him a drink and we're all like, no, it's laced with opium or something. And then he's like, I have a temporary job, actually. And there you go. He's like, you want to be a geek? And yeah, he says, yes. It's what I was made for, whatever he said. Mm-hmm. The end. Yeah, very tragic for him to, from the beginning, like I said, and now he's back and he became the person that he didn't want to be. Like when he's talking to Lilith, she start, starts psychoanalyzing him throughout their sessions where she offers him a drink and he's like, oh, I never drink. And she's like, you could have taken the drink and not drank. You could have just said no. Not, not right now. Not right now or whatever. But you chose to say like never. So she was like, something's up. And this is why I think she's incredibly smart because she wanted to essentially destroy this guy. She's the one that got him to start drinking. So when Stan doesn't want to be weak and that that can be debated and he doesn't want to be a drunk and he wasn't he never drank and then he's already a liar in the sense where he's like telling people lies one was for entertainment but once he takes on these more powerful clients he's clearly lying to them he never made contact with the Harrington's son or saying you guys are going to be together soon he never made contact with Dory Mm -hmm. so it's like he was already a liar and the the last piece was him being a drunk. And then as he drinks, he becomes more and more weak. His dependency on money increases and he's not even spending it. The clients give him money and he keeps giving it to Lilith because oh, yeah. I feel like he doesn't want Molly to know he's continuing to do this. Yeah, that was the other thing. He gave her money, his money to hold on to from the clients and she's like why would you give it to me you don't even know me and he's like i do know you and i know that you're a bad or you're not trustworthy or you're a bad person i'm like then why would you give her the money because he's bad too and then it's they start so making stupid. out stupid so stupid be yeah. smart <laughs> and, and so this is where like how to destroy a person she clearly did it she made him a drunk that ends up just destroying his empire she probably knew Hey, Ezra's bad news, yet there he goes. I don't know, maybe she could have told, because it sounds like she was still talking to Mrs. Harrington, mm-hmm. as because that was one of her patients, and that's how she gave him information 
on the judge's dead son. It, it just seems like when when they were in that show, the the judge was like, "Oh, you you've lost someone recently," and he says his oh. son. I'm like, it from nineteen call it nineteen sixteen to nineteen forty one that. I wouldn't consider that recent. But I just thought it was odd that she said that he died in no man's land. And usually that's like a military reference to trench warfare uh, during World War I. And one of the last symbols that we kind of see in this film is eyes. I didn't really pick up on until like towards the end. But like when, when I googled uh, this film, you see it. And earlier when you were talking about the fun house and the seven deadly sins and stuff like that. Some of the images you see eyes everywhere, kind of yeah. like um, what's that bird? Um, the peacock. The peacock, like it kind of looks like that, and eyes everywhere. And a lot of the times, eyes tend to symbolize that he's always watching. And there's references to God throughout this movie. And I think like his dad was a pastor, or they they s- said something about a pastor. Where I don't, know. it's I'm just like ties that. to God in general. Yeah. Um, maybe it wasn't, maybe, maybe that was like, I misheard, but it's something like there's ties to God and there's eyes everywhere. And you're, you're kind of like being watched or you're being judged. Mm-hmm. But then there's like the creepiest baby in a jar oh, right. that kind of has similar to Lilith, some like scar throughout his body and like in his head, well, I'm assuming it's a boy, sorry. Um, but then it's like the baby he has, has a like, third eye uh, yeah, third story. eye, kind of like Tien from Dragon Ball Z. But it's like there's no pupil. Maybe it's like faint gray or something like that. And when Stan goes to talk to that new carnival, we see that baby. Mm -hmm. So he knows it came from the other one. And then I was thinking like, oh, what what are these eyes? In a lot of other stuff, it's like there's the sign of second sight Mm. where Stan claims he has it but doesn't actually have it and he's just kind of like being taunted by a lot of eyes throughout the film the last theme uh i kind of saw it's it's one of those and and we just finished watching dark where they kind of had it as well where it's like you can't escape your own fate and your your actions directly lead you to your demise so stan killed his father and and we actually find out that he did there's a scene or a flashback but he's he's an old man so it's whatever but then he like opens the window and it's winter well first he tells him i always hated you and then he opens the window opens the window and you hear his blanket you hear the wind come in you he you see like snow coming in he takes the blanket and then he like puts it around himself well the window's open it's cold and he essentially <laughs> he just sits down and watches him die yeah he he watches him die and uh. you see the watch that he had on his dad's wrist which then i'm like why would you burn down the house bad memories um, doesn't want to think about it or, anymore uh th- there was like an article i was reading where it's like he didn't want the cops to know or that, that sure like you know how how the dad died but then i'm like well, then why wrap him up and then put him in the ground or put him in, in the floor and then burn down the house? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot um, of these characters are interesting enough that you want to know more about why they do the things they do yeah. or their backstory. So. And it's like this action leads him on the path that ends up in the carnival, meets up with Molly, 
meets people that warn him, do not do this. Do the clairvoyance, but let people know it's fake and it's for entertainment. Do not do the spook show. And he goes on and, like Icarus, flights too close to the sun and ends up destroying himself. But it's because of his own actions. Yeah, of course. I did want to bring up, I wanted to watch the one from 1947. I just didn't have time. But I did read the synopsis and it's pretty close to the original movie. I don't know about the book. I haven't read that. But some of the things I want, just wanted to point out, it said that Xena and Pete had this amazing act and Pete was driven to alcoholism because of Xena's attention to other men. And I didn't know, I didn't necessarily get that that's why Pete drank, but Xena does. Xena and Stan do hook up at one point, so she obviously pays attention to other men, like it said in the in the first film, but I don't know how aware of that Pete is, or if he, because he seems so happy and go lucky all the time. He's always talking about how they had wonderful times in France together, and it seems like Xena really loves him too. I think in the review it said that Stan stole the code and ran off with Molly, and they had that whole act, and then pretty much the same thing with with Lilith and the, the conning the the elite, and then he you know falls on hard times and becomes the geek in the end. So it's full circle, and then. Molly finds him again and she's like it's okay I'll take care of you now and so it's like now Molly and Stan have become Xena and Pete Mm. so it ended and I was like wait no where's Molly why didn't she come back but in there it seems like it's also a cycle no yeah that's what he said they said it went it came full cycle because it started with him entering a carnival and looking down on the geek but I don't know if Molly finding him at the end and saying that she'll take care of him will be is any less depressing it's just depressing in another way because now she has this burden on her hands it's not like he's not going to continue to be that person or perform as a geek in the carnival so I don't know I just thought that was interesting Mm -hmm. thought I'd share so that was our thoughts on Nightmare Alley Nightmare Alley yeah I liked it a lot yeah let, let us know if you guys are planning on catching this film go see it don't bring a drink (laughs) it's two and a half hours yeah you'll have to pee i felt so bad there's only one other person in our movie theater and he was there the whole time he's doing so well and then he got up and left and the movie ended (laughs) i was like no you got up in the you could have just held out for like a couple more minutes like he came back and and Bradley Cooper's character is like laughing, crying in the end. Oh, and I'm like, so he missed that whole. <sighs> like, sir, do you want me to tell you what happened? <laughs> but yeah, I would recommend it for sure. Yeah, I I, th- I thought it was a really good film. If you like Guillermo del Toro and you want to see something of his that doesn't really fall on his tradition, traditional film or story like telling. Uh, yeah. Leave any suggestions for future films you want us to watch 